0: We wanted to take a moment to let you know that the content and language on today's episode is for adult audiences, so please use your discretion while listening. Hi, this is Paula.
1: And I'm Joseph, and you're listening to Life Lived Better. Hey, everybody, welcome back. So today we've got part two of our Collier Landry conversation for you guys.
0: We hope you enjoy
1: the rest of his
0: story. As you told us, tragically, within such a short period of time, when you were 11 and 12 years old, you lost your mother, your father went to prison, your father's family, your mother's family didn't want to take you in, so you went into foster care. You even lost your dog with the documentary, the TED Talk, the podcast, and, and every interview you do. You're talking through the pain of your past again and again. How do you recover from that? I mean, how, what do you do to take care of yourself?
2: So, um, so for me, I, got, I had gotten out of therapy in my like mid-teens, but I also was someone who would talk to everyone and anyone because people would come up and ask me questions, and I would just talk about it because I, I would very much use those opportunities as my own source of therapy. Like, okay, you want to talk because everyone that I grew up with in this small town was you know I was like a I was like a child actor like a celebrity like that's the way I look at it in a lot of ways like especially when I came to Hollywood I was like oh I can totally relate to these child actors like growing up in the spotlight because I grew up in the spotlight mm-hmm. so I would use that but for me it became this is what my TED talk is 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 about is you know I talk about using art as a form of 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 resiliency, it's as a contribution to learning resiliency, and and that's the thing is for me, I dove into the arts, right? You know, I went to music school, and then and also part of my journey was is you know I dropped out of music school two and a half years in. I always i did. I wanted to go to a place, and I initially wanted to go to New York City, like right when I you know graduate high school don't want to just go to Broadway trying to make it as a singer and whatever because I my it was it was either New York or LA and then I was like, well I don't really like cold weather so <laughs> to, and I came out to LA and business and I was like, okay this is like amazing this is where I want to be um, but for me I wanted to more importantly, my sort of drive with that and then getting into entertainment was not only because i wanted to tell my story and i didn't know how i was going to do it i didn't know if i was going to be a filmmaker or if i was like i always thought okay i'll become a rock star and i'll be this like famous rock star and then i'll tell my story and then people will know who i am because that'll give me a platform where people will actually listen to me and understand my story right because it'll be like oh he's famous so now let's listen to him and instead it kind of worked sort of in reverse and what happened is is at the at the core of it was was one simple thing was I did not want to have myself led in led into a room by my past. I didn't, you know. It was everywhere I grew went growing up, and you know, people were whispering. So everyone knew who I was. And I thought, God, can I go to a place where nobody knows the fuck I am, and I am solely judged? Only on my merits, on my contributions as an artist, my contributions to society in general, to relationships, to friendships, that has nothing to do with it. And that's not to say that, like, when I came out here, people didn't know my story. People generally sort of knew, okay, the the thing was, oh, Collier's dad killed his mom when he was a kid. That's pretty much what everyone knew, you know. Um, Some people who were closer friends of mine knew a little bit more of the story um, and sort of my personal journey, but nothing like what I divulge now. (laughs) Um, And it was weird because, you know, I, I had seen a film in 1999 when I was out here visiting called American History X, which is one of the top, my top five favorite films of American cinema. And it's about, I, I walked out of the theater and I said to my friend, I said, whoever made that film, Understands the consequences of violence and they i want them to help me tell my story flash forward eight years later my girlfriend at the time who was a model she comes in and she goes hey this this movie producer reached out to me on myspace and he's doing a coffee table book he wants to photograph me i was like oh movie producer i was like what does he like what is he movies does he made she's like oh he made booty call he made kingdom come havoc like she's like rattling off these films off my face says, american history I was like american history X," and she goes yeah I was like, get him over here, and I became friends with him. His name was John Morrissey, okay. and he was a producer of American History X. And we became friends. And then he was like looking for a project. He had he had gotten out of the film business, but he was like, oh, I kind of want to do something or whatever. And I was like, well, he wanted to do something that I thought was really silly, and I was like, don't do that. Like that's not that's not worth your time. But this is. I have an idea for a. Um, I was going to say podcast. I have an idea for. A television series a docu-series about the consequences of violence and the best news is, is i own the rights to the pilot and i literally over my shoulder there's a book of newspaper articles that somebody gave to me when i was 18 or 19 or whatever gave it to my adoptive parents and um it is all the newspaper articles from when my mother went missing to when my father's trial and all the stuff afterwards mm-hmm. and everything so i have this book and i hand him this book and i was like i know I told you like i'll like my dad killed my mom this is the story and he like read it he he called me the next day he took it home and he goes are you fucking kidding me man like this is your story I had no idea and I was like yeah I was like this is my story he's like well I know somebody I think would be interested in this I just did a feature film with her with Channing Tatum and Joey Gordon-Levitt and Hathaway and she's but she's won two Academy Awards for documentaries and her name is Barbara Koppel and we got with Barbara, and then we started putting it together. It took years and years and years, but eventually, we you know got representation for it. I mean, almost immediately got representation for it. We got you know a couple companies to look at it, and then the idea was like, well, "Let's make this." And so we made it for Investigation Discovery. It came out end of 2018. Got really popular during the pandemic, and now because of TikTok, it's really because <laughs> 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 all these people are searching me. Where do you find your film? Where do you your film? And that was really cool. And and I think, as I was saying earlier in the program, everything that I had done, you know, I learned the craft of filmmaking. Like, I I got into all of this stuff because I wanted to tell my story. that's the only reason I did it. The only reason. The only reason I became a filmmaker, a director of photography, a director. Like, I have a music video I directed that has a billion views on YouTube just as of last weekend or two weekends ago. Like, I've done a lot of amazing, really super cool projects. Um, but it was all just because I was like learning because I wanted to tell my story. And I was so lucky to have people like John and Barbara Koppel get involved and really believe in this and, and ID and Gersh and all these, you know, these, these people that because I was able to tell the story and I wasn't really going to be in the documentary it just kind of worked out that way. But, uh, you know, for the like you saw and there's the big scene confronting my father in, the, in prison and it's 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 really crazy. And I'm just really fortunate that I was able to tell the story. And, you know, there's things, of course, I would change and stuff. And, but at the end of the day, the film has had such an impact on people. And so to, to circle back around to your question, the crazy thing is that these people reach out to me within their stories and their, you, you know, it, it's, it's always hard when you're dealing with trauma because people are like, it, it, it always happens. They're like. Yeah. So I was, uh, you know, I, I grew up and I was like sexually abused by my, a lot of them were sexual abuse cases, unfortunately. And they're like, you know, uh, I grew up and I, you know, I was treated this way and then I didn't know how to deal with it. I became a heroin addict. I got an in and out of relationships and this and that. And I just was feeling sorry for myself. And I, it's like, God, I just, my life sucks. And then I saw your documentary. <laughs> and I realized that like, I have a good and all these people. And I'm like, look, and I, and I try to tell them, you know, I'm like, Hey, look, this is not like a competition. Like I know that my, I already am aware of how unique and crazy my story is. That does not discount your story. Like your truth is your truth. You're going through is you, what you're going through. And don't think just because my, you, that you somehow are insignificant. I'm glad that it gives you hope and I'm glad that it, it uh, speaks to you and, and you are learning from it and drawing from it on my resilience and, and, and that helps you, but like, please don't discount your story. One of the things that I do with the podcast is, uh, you know, I talk to other survivors and and people and, and people of interest in true crime. Cause I am genuinely fascinated by why people are fascinated with true crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also fascinated becoming fascinated on how it's so it is so exploited because again, I made a film. I didn't make a true crime film. You know, it comes dressed as true crime, but it's really like a plea for humanity to quote variety. <laughs> um, <laughs> But that's really what it is. And um, then as I got, as I'm getting in this true crime world, which is very, very recent for me. I mean, we're talking like the last few months that I've gotten into this world and meeting other people. I'm like, oh, look at how these people are exploited for their stories. Look at how television series like Dirty John are now franchised, but Mm -hmm. they're not, but they don't get paid or how these podcasts are generating tens of thousands of dollars monthly by exploiting survivors' stories, victim stories, stories, and not giving back or not. And these people aren't paid and they are going through genuine trauma. Like, Oh, they get paid. They, that doesn't even cover one therapy session with a lot of these people. <laughs> so, you know, they don't, they don't get paid for their stories. And so I'm sort of getting into this sort of stage of uh, almost advocacy for other survivors. Cause I have this very, I have also have this sort of mentality like, you know, Pick on someone your own size, guys. You Mm -hmm. come after me because I can handle it. Like you, you can. There's nothing you can throw at me that is going to make me flinch, or stutter, or or back down because I come. I I I, I'm here for all the smoke. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm here for all of it. Don't don't come after those guys. You come after me because I'm your equal. I'm not gonna let you bully people. So I'm sort of getting into that a lot as I'm discovering how these people are being exploited, and it makes me genuinely angry. But also, one of the things that I do with the podcast is I, you know, so I reach out, you know, I talk to survivors, I talk to people who are involved in true crime that I find are fascinating, but I also read my father's letters from prison because no one has able been able to do to see these. We do a couple of them in the film. I'm actually reading the letter that I wrote to him in this in the scene with him in the prison. Uh, which is i won't spoil it for anyone but it's very poignant <laughs> to say the least um you know reading these letters from prison to him you know a man who's murdered his son's mother his world and who is now um you know gaslighting and manipulating this this child is insidious but it gives people some real look a real look into narcissism and sociopathy and psychopathy and and those are, be, those are becoming invaluable tools right now, especially because of, like in a post-pandemic world where people were locked up inside with people in quarantine for mm-hmm. o- over a year and they really got to know people and they had no respite from that. They couldn't go to work. They couldn't go to the gym. They couldn't go to school. You know what I mean? Like one of the things that I had in those moments, like I was talking about as a kid is I went to school and I was able to then freely speak to the police detective. If I didn't have that, I don't know where I would be. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you have a little bit of that reprieve or that respite from those situations, whether it's household, domestic abuse, physical violence, uh, you know, drug and alcohol abuse, whatever that is. And, And I feel my heart goes out to people like that, 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 have lost that to the pandemic but i think that's why they gravitate towards these things because they email me they dm me they're just like oh my god that episode It's like i see this in my former spouse my father my mother you know it's men and women by the way i've been in a terrible narcissistic relationship with a woman that i was just like, i didn't even realize i'd come out the other side i'm like what was that you know it <laughs> happens and you know and i know what to look for but i wasn't thinking about it you know and um so it's interesting, and now to, to also get back to your question of, uh, what do I do to sort of keep the the sanity? Uh, you know, I just did an episode with a guy named Dr. Onil Iskovich, who wrote a book called The Art of Routine, and I sort of argued with him. Not that I had to argue, but like my sort of thing is, and and when I talk to other survivors and trauma victims, is routine is one of those things because it uh, it feels like it gives you back the sense of control right? Because so much was taken out of your hands, right? So like, for me, before this podcast, I was a couple minutes late, because I had to go swimming this morning, I wanted to get my workout in, I knew I couldn't get the rest of it, because that's something that's very important to me, physical activity, exercise, being outdoors, those things are important to me. Mm -hmm. Like they are necessary for my functional being, like, Mm -hmm. I can't see that. And I think that for people that are listening to this, that have gone through trauma, I mean, I've probably talked way too much, but one of the things I would say is having, you know, you're always looking for the sense of control, right? You're always looking for the sense of like taking back what was taken from you. And one of the ways to really do that is to have a routine, whether that's, you know, waking up in the morning and not looking at your telephone, right. And having a moment to breathe, whether it's meditation, not that I do meditation or yoga or things, but they're fantastic practices for people. And, you know, I'm an avid runner as well. So those are like meditative things. I used to, you know, I I still ride motorcycles, but one of the things is I would ride a motorcycle up in the mountains and I would have no, there's no music. There's no nothing. Like I'm not listening to AirPods or anything. It's Mm -hmm. the sound of the road. And like, it's that meditation, but that's calm, that quiet, that sort of moment that you can have with yourself that you shut off all the noise of life and and having those built into your daily routine whether it's you know five hours, five minutes, you know five seconds, whatever those little moments they're so they're so helpful for trauma survivors and and mm-hmm. victims to really sort of take back that ownership. Routine is something that definitely keeps me in a state where I can, um, You know, where I feel functional and in control. Because if I get off that routine a little bit, you know, and eating things like eating good and taking care of yourself. And, you know, I quit drinking during the pandemic. You know, I, I wouldn't say it was the best decision I made, but it was definitely a good decision, Um, you know, because it controls anxiety that you, you're not having other substances affect that. And I, I think things really taking uh, ownership of that is really important, but making sure to, to, take time for yourself and to develop a good routine is, is so critical. I can't stress it enough.
0: Yeah. We both believe that a hundred percent and do that for our own sanity as well. And one of the things, you know, you talked about reading your letters uh, from your dad or to your dad, I think for a lot of people, at least for me, what that is, is like kind of exploring the contradiction and you know you you'd share that he is a narcissist he is you know he murdered your mother but he's your dad oh, and sure. you talk I mean, about that kind of that confusion in that and i think that's something absolutely
2: and it's and and, it's, and by the way like i read a letter that i wrote to my father in the film but all the all the letters i read in the podcast are all letters from him from prison <laughs> to me and to to show the gaslighting and all that stuff and yes it is really difficult to reconcile the weird sort of dichotomy that's at play or juxtaposition maybe of the fact that he's my father and that he's also this horror of a human being. And you know, it was really interesting because when the film was starting to screen at festivals, this reporter, I think from the New York Times had, was interviewing me and he says, he goes, you know what, man? He said, um, you know what tells you know, there's a moment in the film three seconds long but in that moment it tells me everything i need to know about you as a human being it sums you up perfectly i was like what's that he goes after you are sitting with your father and he's not admitting to killing your mother he's not and you're getting nothing from him and you 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 stand up and you hug him and you say i love you pop that tells me everything i need to know about you as a person right there and i was like oh i was like well i meant that he goes I, I know, <laughs> I know you did. And he's like, you don't seem to understand how rare that is, that somebody can actually say that and mean it because you mean it. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, he's hes not going to change. And as I said to him right before that, I said, I believe that you believe that. And that's my answer. Because the whole point in the whole, like my TED talk and everything that I talk about the whole point of making the film was to find out how he killed my mother. Like, we are talking 25, six, seven years of my life. I wanted to know the answer to that question. I sat down in that room and I wanted to answer that question. <laughs> I don't get it in that way that I was expecting. And that's why the TED Talk is whether the answer you seek is not the answer you need. And, mm-hmm. or what you find, because you know, that's not how life is. Life is not perfect. Life is an imperfect mm-hmm. situation. And you have to have the grace and the poise and the compassion and the understanding with others and with yourself, most importantly, to go, I might not get what I'm expecting, mm-hmm. but I'm always going to get what I need. Mm-hmm. And you get that. And it's incredible. And it's just, you know, it's one of those moments that's really poignant. It's good.
1: Is there any kind of lesson? And all of this that you would want to share with us that you've learned through these experiences?
2: I mean, I think for me, I mean, I think it's that, it's that you often, you know, we often tend to go through life expecting a certain outcome and you just have to be open to other outcomes. That you have to just be confident and that you have to literally, and it's, and it might sound so cliche and it also is way easier said than done, but you have to, you have to lead your life in a way that you're compassionate and you're kind and you're graceful to others, but most importantly, yourself and accepting of, you know, that life is imperfect and that, like, yeah, your father might be a, a heinous murderer. And, you just have to accept that. And then and, and also you have to be really true to yourself. And that's why I was talking earlier about the sort of, you know, not again, not to sound cliche or whatever, but like the sort of state of gratitude I've kind of found myself in recently, just talking to other survivors of just like when the chips are down, like, what do you do? And being able to like say, okay, in that moment, I rose to that occasion. Mm-hmm. And that was the life defining and life changing moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was it. And I, and I, and I did what I knew was the right thing to do as difficult as it was. And that ultimately is what you can look, you know, cause I can look myself in the mirror and go, yeah, my life isn't perfect, but man, I, I gave, I, I did, I did right. Yeah. <laughs> did all right. You know? Yeah.
0: Well, I, I don't think I was that mature when I was 12. I, I really don't. Uh, I it's a Nintendo. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't even have a Nintendo. <laughs> they were way before my time. <laughs> but I, I can tell you, as, as somebody who found you from being a, a audience member, I, I appreciate so much of you sharing so much of yourself. I know it is uh, scary, but you mentioned Brene Brown when we started. Oh, she's one of my heroes. I, she talks about being authentic. And that's the, those are the people we love. You know, those are our people, people who are who they are just you know
2: yeah, it's interesting you talk about the authenticity thing and, and you know there's this moment in making the film where uh i go to see the case file which contains photographs of mm. the body and things like that and i'd never seen this before and i was talking to the police detective and his wife and you know it was after we were done filming with them and they said um you know barbara was like okay i was like what are you guys gonna do i'm gonna go to the gym and they're like well, we're gonna go down to the playstation we're gonna look at the file we're gonna do this and that and she's like do you want to go and i was like i'm thinking to myself no i don't want to look at those photographs um and and before i can even say no like <laughs> dave and his wife are like absolutely not you're not going down absolutely not like they got very protective and i was like i'm like but what are we here again this is this opportunity right what are we here to do i'm here to show the audience in the most authentic and vulnerable way possible because it doesn't work if you're not authentic and vulnerable mm. shit doesn't work <laughs> and i'm like this is one of the most difficult things i'm going to have to do and looking at these photographs like this is what it like this is what we're doing here this is what i wanted to do with the film this is what we're doing here this is what this is about is to is to be like this is okay i can do this and so can you it's the, the lead by example Mm-hmm. You know, scenario. It's the 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 thing is, is that like the the vulnerability and the authenticity. I and I didn't think about it at the time. Other than it was like, other than I was like, this is what the right thing to do is. But now looking back on it, I'm like, God, that's my superpower. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave you with one thing. Now I'm gonna get choked up again. But uh, uh, you know, we're we're at all these film festivals, and I'm uh. Uh, we we do the Q and A's after the film screens and stuff like that. We're sitting at this table up on stage. And I made this like super like just silly joke. And I said, Oh, I said, I feel like we're at a, on a panel at comic con. And uh, so I'm taking questions from the audience and there's, you know, three or four people, whatever. And then this guy steps up to the microphone. He says, um, he's like, you know, thank you for the film Collier." And he's like, he said, but something you said, it was really interesting to me. He said, you know, I know you were kidding when you said you feel like you're at comic con. He's like you're a real life superhero, man. The house is like, oh my god, I'm like, oh my god, you know. And it's, uh, it's like, huh? yeah, I guess so. I'm glad that people look at it that way, you know. And I think that's just that's the vulnerability and the authenticity mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I,
0: I, I concur. I mean, Joseph and I meet a lot of people that's lives were destroyed because of things that have happened in the past. Not that you don't have pain and you don't have, you know, haven't struggled, but you've turned that trauma into something so much more, you know, you've really turned it into something and then sharing it with other people. I mean, that I agree. I I just, you, you are giving so much to so many people and I hope that you're getting back, you know, I hope that you're getting back some of the good stuff because you deserve it. I mean, it's, it's, um, I, I know it has touched my life and, so many other people you come in contact with, I'm sure all the time tell you the same, how it has, you know, kind of changed pers- perspective or just, you know, and you, that's, that's, you're doing that with your life. It's not a one shot deal. This is your whole life. So that's what, so I, I admire it so much, you
2: so, know? Thanks. I mean, at the end of the day, I was a kid who really loved his mom. Yeah
1: we hope you guys enjoyed our conversation with Collier. There are lots and lots of places that you can find him and more information about him. Paula, you want to share a few?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can go to his website directly and find all of his links. Collierlandry.com or you can go to IDTV Prime. Uh, a lot of places have that documentary called Murder in Mansfield. He has his own podcast called "Moving Past Murder," and it's on all the normal places that you listen to podcasts. You can also find him on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and he's even got a TED Talk. We, we'd like it if you'd love us too. Give us a like. Give, <laughs> give us, us some listen- love. Show us your love. <laughs> I have. I admit, it is about my self-esteem. Every time someone likes or follows us, I feel a little better. <laughs>
1: Well, thanks again for listening, and don't forget that knowledge leads to a life lived better. Thank you for
2: listening to Life Lived Better with Paula and Joseph.